Welcome to By the Sword, where we discuss the modern study of historical European martial arts, or HEMA, with instructors, experts and martial artists from all over the world. Hi there, my name is Fran Laquata and I'm the creator of this podcast. I'm also an experienced HEMA instructor of more than a decade. If you'd like to learn rapier and companion weapons or side sword from me, do get in touch. You can contact me on Instagram at swordwomen. Send me a PM or you can send me an email if you write to bythesword at my.com. In this interview, I talk to Kirsten Meredith, a scientist and a HEMA instructor at True Edge Academy in Utah, USA. We discuss calibration, cutting and conundrums in Maya. The episode was recorded live on 4th of October 2020. Hey, hi. Nice to see you. <laughs> So I'll just say, I'll just int- I was just introducing you while I was waiting for everyone to arrive. Um, oh. how, how, well, the sort of news from the United States has been uh, typically 2020 lately, but how is, how is life? <laughs> how is life? Uh, yeah, um, it hasn't been too bad here, um, especially for Utah. Um, thankfully, we have... One of the best healthcare systems in the nation, which is saying something. Um, we actually have uh, our university-based system and our local-based systems are some of the high, most highly rated. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to manage uh, quite well um, as far as the health side is concerned. But it is 2020, um, <laughs> and this is a, a somewhat conservative state. I live in a, the bluish purple heart of a very red state. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's it's been going well. Um, <clears throat> we haven't had too much craziness. Uh, we do have a lot of cases right now, which yeah. is unfortunate. How do you um, compare to the rest of, of the country? What's it like there? I mean, you've got the good health care. Is that sort of helping keep it down compared to some other states? Or is it? I think it's making the leadership overconfident, personally. (laughs) Um, Just because we can handle it doesn't mean we should be handling it. Um, So case numbers have come up. Hi, Jenna. Uh, Case numbers have come up, but uh, it doesn't seem like our healthcare system's getting overwhelmed. So the governor's just kind of letting it play its course uh most for the most part though especially here in salt lake um which is probably the more dense populated area of the state the most dense um masks are pretty endemic so i don't see a lot of people going around unmasked mm-hmm. which is uh, slightly reassuring though yeah. if i go 30, if i go 30 or 40 minutes north to visit my relatives it's a complete crapshoot uh most <laughs> Doors and businesses are still requiring masks, but whether or not the public is actually paying attention to it is a, a whole a whole nother business. Yeah. But they're rural; they don't they don't necessarily have that yeah. population density to be so worried about. But it is it, what it is. Yeah, it's a funny. It's a, it's, it's the shifting goalposts, uh, the sort of shifting rule sets that are mm-hmm. it's hard, that makes it all quite difficult to keep up with I find um here in the UK I, I mean just on a sort of very small level like of like from the tiny lens of organizing a HEMA club uh obviously we've got to deal with how to manage groups of people and it's like one week they'll say 30 people can gather and train outside and then it's like no you must keep in bubbles of six and uh it's oh, it's gosh. trying to trying to work around these changing things because if you don't comply with the rules 
you get a fine and, and obviously we don't want to put anyone at risk either so sure. it's just like, like we we went into quarantine lockdown about the same time everybody else did so throughout mm-hmm. march or march yeah, april march, yeah yeah march april and we were allowed so the the statewide um restriction bubble thing that they have allowed us to go um back to the gym on like a gradation so it started off okay we were all in orange or red and then it was yellow and then they did actually put certain dense populous places back into green so whilst uh we actually managed to get back to practice earlier than most Mm -hmm. we did make the executive decision uh once cases started rolling upward again Mm -hmm. to spend all of august uh outside and if you know any little thing about utah it's kind of a desert (laughs) in the night (laughs) uh really dry Mm because we have no humidity here Mm -hmm. and exceptionally hot uh Mm. but we managed to get through it uh and we've had some of our weekday classes inside of course fully masked social distance etc etc um and we still have our saturday classes outside so we're managing as long as the state allows us to but again yeah we don't want to put anyone anyone at risk at all and we still have a large population of our club that is uh uh, as my instructor likes to put it, uh, paladins of isolation. So <laughs> do you, they've taken their vows. Do you? I mean, your 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 club is a, a True Edge Academy South. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no, actually, uh, I'm True Academy of Swordsmanship Salt Lake City. So oh. we're we're actually the parent club. <laughs> oh, right. you're, the, you're the mothership. We're the mothership. Um, South is. Uh, exceptionally large for being a branch club though i will yeah. say that um but that kind of happened to me because uh <laughs> when i took over my school the school of the sword when my when my instructors retired there were like eight people in i i, I moved the, the location to my town because i'm not going to travel 40 minutes when i can just have it on my doorstep so i relocated it and there was only eight people there and then a bunch of the students who used to train in the old venue said, can we start a second chapter? And I was like, yeah. And they ended up uh, like one time they asked me to come and help out. Well, for a while I was helping them out and they had like 40 people, new people's like turn up. So like, it's like our, our smaller club was actually a lot bigger than, than, the, than the main one. So it just ended up becoming two, two main clubs. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, uh, true edge Academy. Uh, are you, what's your, uh, I mean, have you made any sort of provision for um, the likelihood of a second wave uh, of coronavirus hitting? What do you think? Do you, yeah. Having experienced everything that happened this year with the first wave, uh, I, I think a second wave is kind of inevitable. Do you think you'll do anything differently if, when it happens? I, when? Yeah, actually, uh, absolutely. We do have, uh, we're far more prepared uh, mm-hmm. this time if we do go back into a lockdown situation. Uh, so if the state did go all the way to orange or red again, um, mm-hmm. one of our instructors has actually gotten to the point where she is um, prepared to do virtual classes for all of those people who haven't been able to make it to our regular uh, classes. Okay. Uh, and those I think are going to be more beginner oriented Mm-hmm. But um, during the lockdown, I was also doing live streams uh, just for in-home body weight exercise to at least keep us from getting the, you know, lockdown weight settling in. <laughs> and so, and we probably wouldn't be able to gather in the park anymore, but we have, we have a few more tools this time around is yeah. the long and short of it. If we do, if we had, uh, on lockdown again but like i said before even with our case numbers going up i'm not sure the leadership of our state is gonna uh, put us into that economic situation again Mm. they're very republican they don't uh they don't do things all that logically when it comes to public health sometimes okay leave it there 
but I mean, we, the lessons learned from the first wave are going to sort of hopefully stand you in good stead for uh, when, okay. uh, with with the next wave. I mean, I'm, and when when it all kind of kicked off back in March, it was just okay. Obviously, classes have just got to stop, uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's kind of it kind of seemed a bit ridiculous to even think that we that HEMA and silly sword fighting could could be important. Um, but of course, um, like I, I, I ended up starting a group called HEMA in Pyjamas with some friends. And it was when we started that and like, like when we ended up with 2000 people joining us in just a few short weeks. And we we're like, <laughs> <laughs> turns out it, HEMA is really important during the lockdown. It's really important to people. Like, you know, it's just a silly thing. We need to focus on, you know, surviving and, you know, humanity not, not being, you know, eroded uh, and, you know, just getting through. But actually it became a really important thing that people really oh, have, held on. a lot of interesting theories as to that, if you're interested in hearing any of those. Theories to uh, what? Uh, why why we feel, uh, why we have such a strong uh, affiliation with our HEMA habits. Oh yeah, go for it. Let's hear it. I want to know. <laughs> so, so in my other life, I'm a uh, budding biologist. Uh, I'm a PhD candidate uh, oh, wow. in biology. And I really love the idea. <laughs> this is one of my... Uh, comments I'm seeing but um so uh, I was able to dive in recently uh well, okay so let me let me rewind yeah go for it <laughs> firstly uh HEMA is a pretty unique habit right so we it's a martial art that we have to do with other people right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's this very interesting trust cycle that happens because you have to use other people base, essentially for target practice. Yeah. Um, and they have to trust you essentially with their body. And that's a huge amount of consent. Yes. You have to give another person. And that's actually super difficult for a lot of people to do. Yeah. Um, but if you can overcome that, even locally in your own club, you mm -hmm. have taken a huge step in your interpersonal relationships that you may not have realized mm. because that, like, like I said, it's a huge amount of consent to be like, okay, hit me with a sword. It's fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is great. Just <laughs> great. And, you know, I feel like even that it's really intimidating, especially for new students as well to be like, no, 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 I can't hit you with a sword. And we all know about force, you know, control. And we all know about teaching people how to control the sword. And we all know about, yeah. um, all of these things, but that, that level of trust is something that is almost unique to our community because like we're using weapons. Those are force amplifying units, you know, yeah. these things, levers. They're, um, not designed, they're not designed for anything other than to cause harm. It's exactly. not like if, it, if it's a farming implement, like, you know, if it's a, if it was a farming implement that, that then evolved to become uh, a weapon like a lot of farming implements did in medieval times you could say well it can also do this but for when it comes to mm -hmm. swords and spears and daggers well actually maybe not daggers because they're utility things but swords mm -hmm. are there only for one thing and that's all they want to do is hurt people <laughs> yeah so, so there's an amazing, like, um, you, you develop these interpersonal relationships with it, like other sword people and personally for me if I step in a ring with you and allow you to hit me with a sword especially if I go to an event and like have a sword fight like I am I it's like I am giving you that permission I'm giving you that consent and I'm trusting you to be a good person about it and so like you develop these really strong relationships even if maybe you don't realize right off the bat that they're mm -hmm. as strong as they are um and then the other interesting thing we've noticed uh, about this is the uh, uh, stress calibration, right? right. So in, in the modern day, we don't, uh, we don't handle stress as humans the way we evolved to handle stress, right? Okay. Uh, we're supposed to have intermittent high-stress situations, where it's our fight or flight, run for our lives, kill the animal, whatever. Yeah. And then we're to have low stress situations where it's pretty much like, okay, 
you are going about your day to day, you know, being a human, walking around. Do do yeah. We live in a middle stress, constant, like mild stress or medium stress situation at all times, and that's really terrible for our biology mm. to do this. It's it's exceptionally unhealthy. Cortisol and all this, all these other hormones. So, what sparring and sword fighting can give us is actually stress calibration. Mm. When we step into the ring, we get to have that interplay with a high stress situation that's fight or flight. Yeah. And that actually helps our physiology and our biology sort of shift and reset to be like, oh, no, 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 that's high stress. Yes. Oh, okay, that's high stress. Now I can come back down instead of yeah. existing in this, like, middling, like, ah, uh, uh, yeah. uh, it's like, oh, ah, oh, this is stress, this is stress. Yeah. Oh, okay, relax. I can handle and, anything now. I've just been, you know, I've just faced a, 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 an, an individual with a sword who's, about, who's trying to hit me in the head. So everything yeah. else in my life, comparatively, is not that stressful, physically exactly. at least. Uh, and I, I don't know how many people have had this situation, but when I've been particularly stressed out, like at the beginning of lockdown, I had a few friends that I kind of kept in my HEMA bubble that I could mm-hmm. actually go and uh, do a little backyard sparring with. Yeah. And I actually ended up breaking down in like tears one day because like I just couldn't like move around and stuff like I was used to. But it was actually, I ended up realizing it was grief, right? Grief mm-hmm. for the loss of normalcy. Mm-hmm. That I would just got so frustrated within my sparring, but like that spike of stress actually helped me again recalibrate everything that had changed, and it was probably one of the best things that had happened to me mm-hmm. up until that point of quarantine. But uh, it is just super fascinating because I think you it you is. don't get the opportunity as a modern human to have these situations unless you really dive and like get yourself out there to do something, but most people don't want to skydive or yeah. jump out of your plane or bungee jump or do all these high, like... It's the adrenaline hit. Yeah, the adrenaline hit. But you can learn, right? <laughs> you can take that road in HEMA where it's like, okay, I can move a sword. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, use it toward another person. I can do techniques and then you put it you know you put on your gear and you actually spar it's like oh no i can get hit with a sword you know i can get tossed around i can get you know stabbed in the face and then it's all okay at the end of the day and that's there's great a, there's a very well touted line i think it's from lichter now i apologize to all of the devotees if i screw this up but it's something along the lines of don't practice sword play if you're easily scared um, yeah it and it's uh, <laughs> we're all scared but we do it anyway and i think when we're talking about stress people think of stress as being something terrifying but stress can be excitement excitement is stress it's any, you know it's going in a roller coaster i mean to me i hate roller coasters and they are they are stressful and they're, they're terrifying but some people find roller coasters really fun and like their heart rate will be the same as mine but they'll be having a positive experience and my you know my heart rate will be the you know We'll both be going, you know, having the same adrenaline and everything. I'll just be like psychologically thinking, "This is bad. I don't like this." But you know, it's the same with sword fighting. You, you can you can go through an experience and it and, and it's stressful, but it's still enjoyable. You're still getting that adrenaline spike. You're still getting that stress calibration that you mentioned, but it's not necessarily an unpleasant experience. So it's like you know, you, like you're talking about the low levels of stress is just like the everyday stress that we experience is like the not nice stress like the miserable stuff that just gets our heart rate up like you know traffic or colleagues mm-hmm. being annoying and things like this or am i gonna get my bills paid kind of stuff <laughs> or it's like just excitement is like the the good the good stress that we like as you say need to flood our systems with regularly uh, and that's why we love it so much. I guess that's one reason why it's so, it's so enjoyable and so addictive. 
<laughs> there are all these other things it's not just the let's hit people with stuff you know ultimately it is i like hitting people with swords if someone said to me help put a knife to my throat and said why do you do this i'd say i like hitting people but um <laughs> there is there's all these things to learn and there's just just, just mm -hmm. so much to it uh and you can get out of it whatever you want to get out of it even if it is i just need to do i just need to do some swords just to get it out of my system kind of thing I, I really like that that's really that's a really interesting uh perspective so you're doing a phd you're a phd candidate in in biology what's your specialism uh so i really like humans but the only way i was able to get close to thinking about a human related topic was <laughs> mosquitoes unfortunately oh. <laughs> um and so uh the host, uh, the parasite host interaction between mosquitoes and humans and how, you know, I, I look at um, how they're able to find us. Because if you think about a mosquito, they're like this big, right? Yeah. They're teeny tiny. Um, but they can find you in an open field pretty easily. And they are able to smell you out really readily as long as they're getting the right cues. Um, and so part of what I'm researching is uh, what aspects of those cues are, are certain species of mosquitoes, especially the ones that are very human-centric. Uh, what, what are they smelling off of you to try and find you? Mm. Um, and we know a lot about body odors, and we know a lot about CO2. Mm -hmm. um, but the specific thing I'm going to look at is odors associ associated with CO2 that come out of the breath. Right. So ones that are more met metabolically um, volatile. Ooh. So presumably the, the, uh, the idea behind it is to stop the mosquitoes from biting us and yeah. spreading disease. Exactly. If we know better how they're able to find us, then we can create ways to mitigate them. So that's right. the ultimate idea. That's really, really cool. Um, now... We've talked for ages. I haven't even got my first, plus my first question. Uh, <laughs> let's let's just go into your background, uh, Kirsten. So, as I as I mentioned earlier, you are with True Edge Academy, Salt Lake City. And mm -hmm. how? Well, when did you begin there, and how did it come about? Uh, so uh, I was given the opportunity to finally uh, quit my full time job and get my undergrad finished back in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I finally made it back on campus to do classes on the reg, um, my university, which is the University of Utah, does uh, this thing called Plaza Fest, where all of the student organizations and university or organizations and clubs and everything set up a table and be like, they just hark their wares, right? It's like, oh, come, come join us, come play with us, da 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 da. Mm -hmm. Here, have free stuff. And so I was walking around because I'd taken like Aikido, I'd taken Tai Chi, um, and I'd taken, you know, uh, I did one mixed martial arts class before I realized it was actually like MMA, UFC stuff. That was mm -hmm. fun. Um, <laughs> and I was just wandering around kind of looking at tables. I've, I've done it in so many years past. And then like, I stopped at this table and I'm just like, there's a sign on it that says, want to play with the swords, come to class. And there are two synthetics on the table crossed over each other. And my instructor, Kristen, so there you go, Kirsten, Kristen. Yeah. Um, my instructor, Kristen, sitting there reading The Art of Combat, just <laughs> kind of minding to herself, like waiting to get people to the table that we all know so well. And I'm just like, what is this? And can I do it the rest of my life? Like, just oh, I, really. And then, you know, I, I didn't have anything else to do that day. I was uh, out of my classes. So I just kind of hung out and, uh, got to know Kristen better. We're the same kind of like, we, we, we ride the same brainwaves a lot. So uh, we find the same things amusing. Uh, we both have kind of some of the same nerdy background and it was just fantastic. And then like later on in the day, more of the uh, students showed up who had actually practiced and like they started handing me a sword and let me swing it around and try to teach me, you know, the basics and, and then I've been like two days a week ever since 2015. Uh, I couldn't, I 
it's it just became the thing I did. I was looking for a hobby, and Hema found me. So, wow. Uh, from then on, I you know I was practicing, um, and about uh, the three year mark, I started. Well, I, I always loved being the guinea pig, uh, the person to kind of help demo the technique or whatever. Because mm. I don't know, for some reason, I just liked uh, being involved and. Eventually, like, my instructors, uh, you know, kind of had to cycle out. They had families. They had young children. Yes. And started, you know, their ability to provide, you know, one or two classes a week started getting a little dicey. So mm-hmm. um, I stepped up into instructor capacity pretty readily. Um, I already kind of do a lot of uh, secretarial work for the club. Uh, you know, all of the backdoor administration kind of things, but we're getting ever so much larger. So I keep finding ways to either make my job easier or pass along um, tasks to the next generation because we have to, you know, make sure we have uh, lineage, right? Uh, we have one of the older clubs in the HEMA Alliance. It's 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 interesting because if you look at the HEMA Alliance documents, it's all out of Utah because... Mm-hmm. True Edge way back in the day. Founded when was it founded? <laughs> 2009. Okay. Actually, I think, or something like that. It was on my birthday, even. It was hilarious. I looked at the document. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, the, the people who used to run my club, which were like Jake Norwood and Michael Chittister and oh. a few other large names in HEMA, actually founded the HEMA Alliance out of Utah. So, it uh, so we've been around for quite some time um, in one form or another, and good. I'm learning all kinds of things today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so we had to uh, make sure that it's been a big part of our lineage to always be teaching kind of the next generation of people who are going to take over, right? Uh, yeah. We don't. I I can't remember who I think it was. Keith Farrell, um, who might have said this explicitly, but we don't teach students, we teach teachers. We teach teachers, Uh, that's right, yeah. We teach teachers. I think that kind of sense of responsibility, it's it's kind of like the way of making responsibility manageable, I think, because an awful lot of people that I talk to, um, not not just the women and, and the folks that I've spoken to on these interviews, but a lot of people who find themselves in that position of being an instructor had ended up there. Nobody <laughs> planned to it. They just ended up there. That's just mm-hmm. the way things went. And, like, my instructor left. My instructor had a baby. Um, you know, there was no one else. I was the most... Uh, qualified person there although I didn't feel it so I had to teach you know what else could I do it's either I do this or the club dies kind of thing or it just starts to fall apart so it's kind of like a sense of responsibility and it's like it can be very intimidating (laughs) it can be very to shoulder I think for people sometimes it it really can be if you don't have like you know good structure to kind of rely on. Like, I don't, I felt like I was pretty ready to kind of step in the role just because I like coordinating things. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it. Like I was always helping my instructor and I was, uh, you know, I had spent my time kind of, uh, moving up in our kind of like progression, our ranking system, studying the long sword. I, dove into the manuals. I'd been doing interpretation for a while. Mm. Uh, I even, I got so frustrated with the, uh, like the Zverkow that I did like a whole flow chart trying to put the Zettel into like an actual flow of responses. And now they're so out of date. I can't even look at them, but I still have the poster in my room of the mm. first one I created to try and be like, okay, if they give you this input, this is your response, blah, blah, blah. And now, even since then, that was like two years ago, my understanding of it has changed so much that I'm going to have to edit all of those one of these days. But um, but that's kind of like the irony of HEMA, I think, is that we're taking something that's like 
it's a relic. Like we've taken this relic. Okay, so mm. it's a book. It's it's some it's someone's ideas. We've taken these ideas, which are, you know, they're they're set in stone in effect, from mm -hmm. their perspective, and it's our task to un unscramble this and turn it from their thoughts into physical actions, and that's mm -hmm. like. You know that's the that's the eternal uh, challenge of HEMA, but whereas the, in the, you know all the theory of HEMA are like the, the the manuals the sources are just like a monolith they are just unchanged they're not going to change because they're just frozen in time. Everything that we do at this end in the, in the present time is continuously evolving. It's continuously changing and it's malleable. And, you know, like you say, like you did all these, this, you did this flow chart two years ago and it's already out of date, but that is just, you know, it's like science. Science doesn't stay still. It's always a work in progress. And we ourselves as fences are always a work in progress. And it's, and it's like, it's, it's really hard to kind of articulate this to new, new people in HEMA as well, because they just come along and they expect you to have all the answers and, uh, and say, you do it like this. That's just my interpretation. Someone else might say, do it like this. <laughs> and next week, I might change my mind. You know, I might say, actually, you know that thing we were doing last week? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak it slightly because, you know, I, I read this, this passage the other day and I think it's meant to be done more like this. So that's why I find really, like, interesting, that challenge of oh, trying absolutely. to keep up to date, like, just not, not keep up to date, but just trying to sort of locate the truth uh, in in those words is 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 the challenge, I guess. I swear, every time I go back to the Zettel, a new word has snuck into a passage I thought I knew. <laughs> it's so annoying. And I, I I've told some of my students the moment you find an interpretation uh, or a passage that you just hate because mm. it's frustrating and you are having a hard time interpreting it, that's a huge. Uh, that's a huge step in your own like HEMA career to be like, no, I utterly hate this. I need to solve this problem. And it's a, uh, it's always a fun, I, I think it's personally like here, here's the puzzle box. Yeah. Sort it out. <laughs> the bits that you hate. The bits you that are gonna make you, yeah. The, the, the parts that you hate are the parts that are going to make you grow because they're the ones that you're really going to have to, you're really going to have to work on. And those are the bits that are going to stick. Um, so we are over halfway through. Um, yes. Folks at home, if you want to ask any, ask us any questions, there is a question mark box at the bottom of the screen. Just tap that. Type any any questions that you have for us. I'm just going to scroll back and see what the people are saying, if they've said anything. Hey, ladies, says Jana. <laughs> Grizzly House Forge says, I was going insane, always no Hema. Yeah, everyone was just doing what they could, weren't they? We were all hitting things in the backyard and reading and crying onto our bedders. Grizzly House Forge again, my favourite part of class is arguing over interpretations. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh Grizzly House Ford is one of my uh, students, and we've taken a lot of time to do more deep dives into Meyer. Because whilst we borrow uh, Meyer's uh, outlook on German fencing a lot, mm -hmm. sometimes we just don't crack open his book as often as we should. <laughs> and so uh, if anybody's read Meyer, you know that he has a very kind of nuanced way and take of doing things. And sometimes he never tells you what the opponent does. And so you have to kind of create the situation because I'm, I'm fairly adamant, especially with his time period in history, that he's just not having his opponent do nothing and stand there and get prel howled in the face. So <laughs> it's, it, it's been a very interesting uh, task for my Monday night class to be just like, okay, here's this. Here's what someone on the internet has said. Here's what I think might be happening let's dissect this and let's figure out what's going on. And it's been, it's been, whilst we're all tentatively waiting for lockdown to happen again, yeah. it's been a great way to kind of shake things up for our normal flow of class. Yeah. It, 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 going back to what, to like say Maya was, uh, Maya, sorry, Maya, Maya, we had a big discussion about how to say it the other day. It's 
I, I think it's Meyer and I think then Meyer. Uh, I think does it rhyme with Meyer? hair or does it rhyme with liar? I think a German person told me it rhymes with liar. So it's Meyer. Okay. Um, it's bit about him being very nuanced in, and not not talking about what the other person's doing and only talking mm -hmm. about what the agent is doing all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it is often what the authors don't say that is the most important, is, is the most sort of taxing part of the interpretation. It's like, well, he says this, but what does that mean the other person's doing kind of thing? You know, there's always two there's always two individuals in an exchange so they only ever sort of tell you you do this and you do that sometimes they say he will attempt to such and such yeah, but yeah. it's when they just don't it's, it's the things that, that that are omitted that are uh, the most important bits and it's, it's trying to sort of triangulate and work out what that might be we got a question mm -hmm. let's have a look ah come on valley combat guild What's your favorite Maya mystery? Maya mystery. That's a good question. Um, what we were just saying. <laughs> oh, Maya mystery. Uh, now, go, why do you do in the mystery it. bus? I got it. Okay. Thing. Actually, I'm going to pull a book. <laughs> Let's see. I have... Oh. The Illustrated Meyer. Oh, handy. <laughs> well, okay. So we have, let, let me get to, here we go. Here is a longsword woodcut for Meyer. Here are the four, three, three references to this, this woodcut. Okay. There are no less than four exchanges going on here. He has so many pieces of diagram he never references in his text, and it is infuriating. That's my Meyer mystery. Why did he go through all this hassle putting all these cute little woodcut figures into his book and never reference them? I am infuriated with Joachim Meyer. I love him. But he wasted pictures. I am so angry with him. <laughs> you really are. I can I I am. feel it from here. <laughs> so, <laughs> One of my biggest, you know, as a teacher, it's like, okay, if you make a resource, use your resource, right? If you go through the 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 investment to make something cool and put a picture in a book, it best be useful and if it's not then why did you do it oh okay that's that's my that biggest me of, there's, a, there's a facebook group and there's a twitter account called uh, science diagrams that look like shit posts <laughs> i was in that for a while but it entirely ate my feed alive <laughs> and so i had to stop because i kept seeing the some of the same ones over and over and i submitted one but like it never showed up <laughs> because there were such a backlog of submissions. And I was just like, well, this is cool, uh, but I, I need to see other people that I communicate with on Facebook every once in a while and <laughs> eating it alive. I just disappear down this rabbit hole. So, yeah, so, so Maya has these beautiful woodcuts that people often reference but as you say, I haven't read it. I haven't read the text. So he doesn't actually describe. <laughs> he doesn't actually describe what is happening in those images. Yeah, no, he has images that he never references in his text, and it's just like, well, this is you know, you can look at them and be like, oh, this might be the middle of this play or that play. But usually, he's like, um. It, he'll be in the middle of a play and he'll be like, like this figure on the center of the right large figures in image J. And it's just like, oh, cool. He's referencing this guy. Cool. This is what he means precisely at this point of this play. And yet he has figures he's put in his book that are never referenced. And it's just like, dang, unless, unless he had another book up his sleeve. Maybe there was more to come. Yeah. Uh, well, he died too early for us to find out. Mm -hmm. So, 
Same. Oh, we got another <laughs> question. Another oh, cool. Question. Grizzly House Forge. Why is stabbing people happy fun time? But if you talk about breaking arms and ringing, it's shocking. <laughs> is it? Is... <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Not among us, I think. But, like, you know, I, I think it's just... Uh, I think st st maybe stabbing is more recoverable than stabbing is more, is, more, is more sort of gentlemanly isn't it it's more socially yeah. acceptable whereas yeah it's like, oh, I just make you bleed a little bit but no I'm yeah. gonna wreck your limb for the rest of your life you will never yeah. recover from this break <laughs> uh, yeah I think it's about the the level of intent uh, obviously a stabbing is is, <laughs> is like a thing but I think yeah you know if we're going to be serious about it you put it into context a duel can be just a first blood, even a even like a a Maya, a Maya era Blossvexen tournament with blunts, where you're only you're doing prelhaus and stuff. Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. you know it's t it can it can just be a slap to the side of the head. I point to me kind of thing uh, mm -hmm. compared to actually like you know twisting someone's arm off at the elbow. Uh, is a whole <laughs> like other level of uh, unfriendliness. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I can't remember who it is. I think it's Guyani talks about four contexts of fencing, and you've got. Um, well, I'm not. He he doesn't he doesn't specifically reference fencing versus uh, grappling, but I mean grappling kind of comes into it uh, often, depending on the context, of course. So you've got you got. Um, you got fencing in the classroom in the cell, like in those woodcuts. So that's just for fun and for the pleasure of learning. You got fencing in competition. You got fencing in the duel, and that in, in itself in, in that category can vary from first blood to last blood. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be like you say, just like a just a, a nasty gouge in someone's arm to sort of make them remember you, or cutting their head off. Um, and then you've got then you've got self defense. So that's if you're you weren't expecting to be attacked, uh, and then you've got to fight someone. So it's it's all as Matt Easton says, context. Oh, for sure, we all love context. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I didn't actually ask you what your specialism is. You obviously at True Edge study. Maya, are there any others? Uh, is it just German longsword and uh, things you study there, or are there any other things you do? I can see a halberd behind you, or is it a poleaxe? <laughs> halberd. halberd. Uh, so yeah, we so primarily we do KDF. Um, we have the Victor compilation of Ringek, Danzig, and not Lev, but um the third one, MS3227A. Um, so we have that compilation. It's a PDF you can find online for free. Mm -hmm. uh, we study that a lot. We also study Joachim Meyer as a supplementary text. So, you know, I get new students and I teach them the four main guards. And then it's like, oh, and here's like 13 more. Um, <laughs> but we also have a sister club that isn't um, German in our state. We have the UCSA. Mm -hmm. uh, that does Italian swordsmanship. And there's a lot of cross-training between the two clubs as well. Nice. So we do get our smattering of, like, Fiore and uh, later period Italian people whose names are not coming to mind at the moment. All of the Bolognese, <laughs> the Bolognese like Vardy and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Vardy. There we go. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, if we, if we pick up sword and bucklers, we're looking at, you know... Uh, <clears throat> 133 if we uh, and we have had a few people go into uh some of the later uh stuff there um you know obviously we we play around with messers a bit so uh, did you get a new messer I, recently not no this one's not new this one's actually seen a lot of uh wear and tear and someone i someone i saw recently got some really nice messer trainers they were really 
nice looking. I can't remember who it was. But I was suddenly oh. I was like, I never wanted to train Messer before until I saw those. And now I'm, now I'm thinking. <laughs> hmm. No, mine's just a uh, Victor Verbicutes uh, Messer uh, from VB Swords. Um, Vitamin B. I can get through. Yeah, I can get it through Purple Heart Armory in the U.S., and it's a very nice muster trainer. Some people don't, I don't think, like it just because it it is a little bit maybe on the light side for muster trainers, but mm-hmm. I found it to be just fantastic because I don't feel bad hitting people with it. Yeah. Uh, it's it actually really, for its short length, has really good flex. So, like, what's not to love? Um, <laughs> one break recently, though, uh, but it saw many. It saw several years of hard use, so that was kind of expected. But it broke right at the tang, ah. or right, not at the tang, but right here at the cross, actually. Oh, so no. it fell apart in multiple pieces. Um, okay. But yeah, uh, so and I, I have a Lekuchner, um on my shelf for more Messer. <laughs> I have not read him yet. Yeah. Uh, rec- my my Hema bookshelf is this one here, and it's gotten far weightier in the lockdown, and I've not kept up with my Hema reading yeah. as much as I pretend I have. I I had a pile of I had a pile of books that's still there, and I sort of started several of them and started trying. I had them literally all open at the same time, and I was kind of cross referencing things, and it's like. This is a lot of work. <laughs> it's going to take me a theory, all of the books together. Ring, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, yeah. If we, we basically, it's like, hey, you got a text for this? Let's study it. Um, the only thing we don't really dive in a ton with is rapier because none of us have a super vested interest in it. Um, there are a few people who do rapier, but uh, we do have a bird, uh, like a pretty good SCA community, and a lot of our rapierists ends up, end up floating over there mm-hmm. for one reason or another. Uh, we do have a couple people who cross-train, but just, yeah, not a lot of rapier, but a lot of almost everything else. Uh, this so, is something like, I found with the, the USA hemocene is that because you've got a, a lot of SCA over there, the the clubs that are kind of especially German longsword base, which is like most clubs, basically, uh, they tend not to go into the rapier so much because it's like, well, the SCA have already got a corner on that, have already cornered that. We don't really need to sort of, you know, reinvent the wheel kind of thing. They, they've got that. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. just saying uh, that's my understanding of why that's happened, but it just kind of means that you don't meet that many american folks north american folks that do rapier unless they do sca as well as because a lot of people you know, the venn diagram for that is pretty overlapped i do know there are a lot of clubs maybe even back east who do it but i'm in the middle of nowhere i have to go so between uh, so we have the ucsa who practices locally we have our branch club which is about 30 minutes away and then it's six hours or about 500 miles to the next big active HEMA community. So you're either going to Las Vegas or all the way down to Phoenix or Denver. Mm. Um, and so we're like an oasis of HEMA in a Utah salty mountainous desert. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, artists, I guess all of our rapiers are hiding in the SEA. Um, yeah. That's just going to have to go with because they don't come and hang out with us that often. Shame. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, we've got about f- just under 15 minutes left, uh, yep. cutting. Uh, yeah. You, I've been watching your club's videos and various people from your club, you've been doing a lot of cutting lately. How important is yeah. cutting to uh, an individual's training, in your opinion? Oh, that's a good question. So we do that over here, to be honest. It's a very I personally think so. Uh, the West Coast of the U.S., uh, as far as uh, I mean, the Rocky Mountains draw a pretty solid line of division, but also a little bit further east, depending on who's floated that direction. But um, we use cutting as a very informative calibration and learning tool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just had a large socially distanced event with R.J. McKeehan out of South Coast Swords. He came up and uh, did a huge cutting workshop with a lot. Uh, 
a good subsection, I'd probably say a third of our HEMA community that could make it. Sorry, Kirsten, you're Like being at a event. Ooh, we're getting a little bit of lag. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, cool. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit laggy. Um, yeah. But, <clears throat> so we use that as a calibration exercise. So we do encourage everybody to eventually, like, if you feel comfortable, we will teach you how to cut with a sharp sword. We will set you in front of a stand and we'll give you a water bottle and something that we don't care if you hit the stand or the ground or whatever. And we're going to teach you how this sharp weapon behaves and what kind of forces it actually requires to do anything. Um, and really we can get away with this because we have some access to tatami because there's a good population of people like on the West coast who emigrated there from like China, Japan. So importing tatami mats to the West coast isn't a huge deal. Transporting them to Utah is a whole nother step. That'll double the price <laughs> of shipping on a tatami yeah. easily. So um, we, <laughs> we work really hard <clears throat> to get tatami to Utah when we can. Um, and it's just great because that gives us that more robust target that, you, that teaches you um, that power generation through your cut and like how to keep a consistent, consistent mechanics through your cut. Um, and that should really inform how you use a fetter in fencing as well. Um, just because uh, I think until you can put a sharp sword into somebody's hand, sometimes they don't understand how little force it takes to actually cut with the weapon. <clears throat> so we, we use it a lot as much as we can. We teach people. Uh, it's it's super informative. It's something you can't quite get with a fetter, but it, it informs your fencing deeply. Um, and I have uh, sharp, pretty toys on my wall that, <laughs> not toys, sharp, pretty weapons <laughs> on my wall to look at um, and dodge when I'm trying uh, to turn on, turn my printer on and off, actually. That was a bad hanging placement, but it is what it is. <laughs> But it, it, it's a great tool. It's, it's it's highly informative, and it's just so much fun. So much fun. So, and so expensive and so addictive. The water bottles make it pretty approachable, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of a pay-to-win activity, unfortunately. If you can buy the pretty sword, that'll cut through anything. And if you can get it sharpened by somebody who knows what they're doing. And if you can afford to practice on tatami mat, you're probably going to do well in competition. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we don't, we, we do, do have cutting over here, like, but it's very informal, like you, like, you know, backyard kind of stuff. We don't really have competitions, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I, I do recommend it to my students. Uh, we obviously we couldn't do it this year because of everything that's happened. But once, at least once a year, we, t we t when the weather's nice, we tend to have a cutting session. And I, I feel that even if you've only gone to like one cutting like party, like barbecue type thing, it stays with you. That kind of knowledge is it's a really fun thing, and it's very. It, that that experience kind of doesn't just go away it's not like i have to, you know like with sparring or doing reps you have to do it you know x number of times oh now i get it but just it's just that instant feedback uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very you know real feedback real time feedback of like you cut that straight or that scalloped or whatever or you know it fell off the perch um yes yeah. that you know the, the bottle or the tatami mat isn't going to lie to you or be nice about it no, absolutely not. I've seen so many, even good cutters, just take a water bottle and launch it and wedge it into a fence because they didn't <laughs> have their alignment right. And it's just like, I guess it didn't want to be cut with your three-foot razor blade. Maybe work on everything else attached to this, you know, sharp sword and get you moving right. And actually, honestly, we had that event and so many of my students did so well cutting. I, I don't think I saw a water bottle that at the very least didn't explode. So like if you hit a water bottle hard enough, it's just going to explode. But if you do it right, yeah. it's just 
be cut. And that's like, oh, cool. Yeah. But I didn't actually see many water bottles just go rocketing off, which was actually a, a pretty awesome uh, thing. Because I've seen plenty of those from fantastic cutters, and it's it's hilarious every single time. Yeah, that's so. the nice thing. And when you get it wrong, it's just a, it's just a giggle, and you can just move mm -hmm. on and just try again. It just makes you want to do it again, rather than it doesn't dishearten you. Uh, no. <laughs> Grizzly House Forge. I feel like I learned more about swords cutting for the first time than I did in like the first six months of Hema practice. I can yeah, I can get on board with that. Um, we've got less than <clears throat> ten minutes left. Instagram will give us a two-minute warning when it's nearly time up, but I'll just warn you now, Kirsten, that sometimes it cuts off a bit early. So if I if it suddenly just drops, then I do apologise for that in advance. Um, uh, so now back to sort of you personally, uh, Kirsten. You um, had some health issues. Um, mm. I don't know when it was. Was it within the last year or so? Uh, you, yeah, you, it you, was about. Three months ago. <laughs> Three months ago. I didn't realise it was actually. Three months ago. Yeah. So tell us about what happened to you. Yeah. So um, I had a vertebral artery dissection in my mm -hmm. neck on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. um, I had it for – so what I think I did was lifting weights uh, with, like, a back-weighted squat. I might have had the bar wrong because I felt some discomfort in my neck thereafter that I wasn't able to really pin down as, like, a normal pulled muscle or something like that. It was really deep in my neck, and I was like, wow, this is really weird. It feels gross, but whatever. And it was giving me headaches. I didn't understand what was happening. But then about five days later, after – two practices, a little bit more weightlifting, and like a session of bodyweight exercise, uh, I had a stroke. Um, and so it threw a clot into my cerebellum in the back of my head. <clears throat> and it sucked. <laughs> it was the day after my birthday. I did not get to bear pit my birthday. I was very, very sad about that. Um, <laughs> But the interesting thing about it is, is because it ended up in my cerebellum, I was very lucid the entire time. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't, it didn't follow a lot of the normal parameters of a stroke. Mm -hmm. So like, I had a little bit of numbness in my face, but not much. Um, I was able to talk and communicate just fine. The only thing is, is I wasn't able to get off the ground. I had laid down because my head hurt and I thought, oh, I was sitting weird and this situation was weird. So I had laid down on the carpet. And it was like suddenly I had a pressure that moved around my head to my face, and then suddenly it was vertigo. Um, my eyes wouldn't focus right, so the room was just kind of spinning around weirdly. Uh, I couldn't orient my body in space. Uh, so the only way I could kind of feel what was going on was like, I had to be physically touching something. So it was yeah. the ground. Like Procurious. if I didn't know the ground was there, I wouldn't be able to understand gravity at the moment. Mm -hmm. So had I been sitting up, I would have just probably slopped over mm -hmm. and that would have been even more shocking to my poor boyfriend at the time. Cause I was already on the ground, so I had to ask him very kindly to Google stroke symptoms because I wasn't feeling right. Uh, and then uh, after some nausea and other unpleasantnesses, they kindly got me to the ER uh, where I spent three days in the hospital. Um, I rallied pretty rapidly because at my age, I'm 32. Um, very young. At uh, people who have strokes, especially the style of stroke, tend to recover, mm -hmm. um, especially if they don't uh, over-damage the artery and cause an aneurysm. So if you aneurysm, you're the 10% who do not make it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you don't, <clears throat> you tend to recover quite readily. So I spent three days in the hospital. Uh, OT cleared me. Um, they gave me PT. Um, and I was able to go home. Uh, I spent about a month or so recovering uh, at my boyfriend's place because I was still tottering about like an exceptionally drunk person. And I felt mm. as though I had basically drunk alcohol at all times of the day as my sense of proprioception came back. Because that was the big thing, mm. especially for, you know, HEMA. Yeah. <clears throat> we relied so much on fooling. 
and it was Fulin that had disappeared. <laughs> oh, we got a, a minute left, Kirsten. Yeah. Uh, I'm so really sorry. I've recovered, yeah, no, I've recovered pretty well, and I'm slowly getting back. I'm on blood thinners, and maybe I'll get to spar this year. Yeah. Hoping. <laughs> but you've made an amazing recovery, like, considering it was only three months ago, and I wish you all the best in your recovery. And it's, it's, been, it's been so lovely to talk to you. I've been looking forward to this. Um, I'll just quickly announce my guest uh, next Sunday, same time, same place, um, is Diana Mathis from Germany. So I'm looking forward to talking to her. Um, but I just want to say thank you, Kirsten, for coming on. I'm sorry we ran out of time. It's been brilliant to talk to you. And uh, I hope you have a, lo the rest, a lovely rest of your weekend. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To show your appreciation, please give us a five-star review on your podcast platform or support our work by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash swordwomen. Go to at swordwomen on Instagram to see upcoming interviews or visit bythesword.net to learn about our events or visit our Facebook page by the sword. <laughs>